Welcome to Unlocked. Unlocked. The podcast that takes everything you thought you knew about money, personal finance and investing, and turns it on its head. With 30 years of hands-on experience as a planner, analyst, and financial educator, this is your host, Dan Wittenkeller. Hey guys, it's Dan Wittenkeller, and welcome to our second podcast. First of all, I'd like to thank all of you who had listened to our intro podcast. Thank all of you for joining in. Hopefully you learned a lot. Uh, what I'm going to start out today is by reviewing a little bit of what we covered in the podcast one. I'm just going to take a few minutes up front, and for those of you who did not hear the first podcast, please go back and listen to that. It's starting to lay the groundwork for every podcast going further from here. What we talked about was why do 97.5% of the population, after working 40-plus years, retire dependent on friends, family, or some form of Social Security to get by, to make ends meet? Obviously, something is wrong. We went through how to measure money. Simple formula. Principal times interest times time minus taxes minus inflation. If you're just all you're doing is putting money in the bank, you are losing money. The number or the principal might be getting larger, but because of the rate of inflation, the purchasing power of that money is going down. It's becoming less and less every year. Then we went through accumulation versus preservation. Accumulation means I do not have all the money that I want, need, or desire. Therefore, I need to accumulate money. On the opposite end is preservation. I have all the money that I want, need, or desire, and all I want to simply do is preserve what I have. I don't want to take any risks. I just want to maintain my current nest egg. Here's the problem, which I talked about in Podcast 1 more in detail. The masses have been taught preservation strategies to try to accumulate money. And the biggest problem with that is it's mathematically impossible, mathematically impossible to accumulate money using preservation strategies because of taxes and inflation adjustment. So you have to be a skilled investor. Why? It's the only way to accumulate money. You need to get higher than 1%, 2 or 3% on your money. Number two, business owners, same way. If you have a successful business, you can write your own uh, paycheck. Quick recap, skilled investor, business owner, you have to learn how to accumulate money. The masses have been taught how to preserve money. They are totally illiterate when it comes to accumulating money. Nobody wants to teach them. So my mission is to help open your eyes first. Once your eyes are open and your mind is open, you'll start to understand what we're talking about here. One of the reasons that 97% of the population fails, it's on purpose. It's the institutions. If you want to call it the big men, you know, the big government, big institutions, big insurance, big banks, They have set up the system for the average person to fail or get by at best. Another thing I want to do, I want to compact time frames. Nobody really wants to sit around and wait 40 years to create financial independence. So what I'd like to do today uh, in this podcast number two is to help you find money to invest because you have to become a skilled investor if you want money to grow in order to become financially independent. I know a lot of people, you've been taught that 
If you just get a good job and it's a high-paying job that you become financially independent, you're so much better off to learn what to do with the money you make than exactly what to do to make money. So what I'm going to do in this podcast is to lay out some, basically some strategies to help you correct common financial mistakes in order to do one thing, to free up money for you, number one, to pad a emergency account if you don't have one set up already, and number two, to find you money to invest because you have to become an investor. Well, there are a few myths, of, well, there's more than a few, but some of the more common myths of investing is, I don't have any money to invest, why do I need to learn this? Well, I guess the obvious question is, if you did have money and you didn't know how to invest, what good is that either? You would actually give your money to somebody else to do it for you? I'm going to tell you right now, I was a broker and been in the business for 30 years. Nobody cares more about your money than you. You should be in charge of your own money. For the people who say, yeah, I don't have a lot of money. Why do I need to learn this? Because eventually you're going to accumulate more money. And as you start accumulating as far as through making it through side gigs or your job, you're going to want to know what to do with the money that you have. What we'll go through now is some of the basic uh, ways to find money to invest. And I find this is going to be one of the easiest ways for most people. And that's in the form of a tax refund. If you receive a tax refund, depending on the size of the refund, it is not, not capital N, capital O, capital T, not a good thing. You are overwithholding. You are sending the IRS more money out of each paycheck than what you legally need to. And all they're doing by law is returning that money to you with no interest. If you owe substantially a substantial amount of money at the end of every year, you are probably underwithholding, and you what you need to do is reduce the amount of exemptions you have so that you get less take-home pay, and more money will be applied each paycheck toward your future tax burden. Again, I am not a tax consultant. I have friends who are tax consultants and tax advisors, but this is a, kind of a common sense one. Look at all the commercials that are set up just to tell you how you can spend your tax refund. Go buy a big screen TV, buy some new appliances, buy this, buy that. So they know already that they're setting you up to spend the money that you're getting back. I'd say any money you're getting back, invest it, get it to grow for you, but change your exemption so that you're about break even at the end of every year. You might owe a few dollars, you might get a few dollars back, but an excess of either way of a couple thousand or more either way, you need to uh, straighten that out. So that's one way of finding money. Get more take-home pay each check, invest it. Number two, if you have a car or a home, if you increase your deductibles on what you're willing to pay on your auto and homeowner's insurance, your premiums will decrease. So the higher the deductible, the lower the premium. If you can afford to do that, your premium premiums will go down every month, every quarter, every six months, every year, however you pay for that. Take that savings of premium dollars and invest it. It's another no-brainer. A third one, and this is a, a doozy. Uh, if you're driving in your car on the way to work or where you're commuting or whatever, yeah, listen to it now, but you might want to take notes when you get home on this one because it gets a little bit further in in, uh, in depth. This one might piss you off a little bit when I go through it and explain everything about it. 
if once I start talking about it and you feel that this does not apply to you because you're not in the marketplace for this, you if you're not right now, you will be in the future. So you better learn it, I guess, now before you start spending money on it. It's called life insurance. Yeah, life insurance. Besides a mortgage, life insurance is usually one of the big biggest expenses that a family will go through their entire life. So they'll spend more money on premiums for life insurance than almost any other thing. So if you're going to spend money on life insurance, you better know what you're buying, what kind you have, how much you need. If you can remember from the first uh, podcast where I was not very kind to the banks, to the large banks, because pretty much they are taking all of the depositors' money and investing it for their own behalf, and that's why your banks have all your large sports stadiums where it's named after a bank or all the large buildings in downtown areas. I also mentioned insurance companies. Well, when the large insurance companies figured out, or when the insurance companies figured out 100 years ago how the banks were making money off of depositors, they decided they wanted to get into the banking business too. And they did it through the form of life insurance policies, namely cash value whole life policies. So let me explain basically what life insurance is, how it works, how most policies are out there to screw you, and what you can do to change it to make it better for you, your family, your dependents, and your pocketbook. Basically, life insurance has one purpose, and its purpose is to insure the income of the breadwinner. It's exactly that. If you are single, unless somebody is dependent on your income, you have no need for life insurance. If you are 65 years old, no matter what Alex Trebek tries to sell you on TV, if you're 65 years and older, if you need life insurance, there's a major problem somewhere. Because at 65, you're probably retired, and I don't think anybody's dependent on your income. The purpose of life insurance is to protect a loss of income. That's number one. Number two, how much insurance does one need? Five to ten times your annual income. And it's also depending on your age, too. So if you're 40 years old, you make $300,000 a year, you should have $3 million of insurance. If you make 60000 a year, you should have $600,000 of insurance. And you'd say, why do I need so much? If you pass away and you make $60,000 a year, your dependents, your spouse, or your children would receive a check from the life insurance company for $600,000. You should be able to take that $600,000 with some knowledge and earn anywhere from 5 to 10% on that money every year. 10% rate of return on $600,000 is basically $60,000 a year coming back into the household in the form of uh, interest earned or through capital gains. So now your loss of income is replaced through the life insurance policy. If you make, you know, let's just say seventy or eighty thousand dollars, and all you have is a life insurance policy for a hundred thousand, your family will probably survive for a year to two years based on that amount of insurance. It's just that simple. You get a hundred thousand dollars, you leave it to a beneficiary. If they get five or ten percent on that money. You're only looking at five to ten thousand dollars a year coming in instead of the seventy or eighty thousand dollars that you were bringing in. If you're in a two-income family, you both would need life insurance. If both of you are dependent on each other's income to maintain your standard of living. If you have group insurance, usually group insurance at work is only five to ten thousand dollars, maybe twenty thousand at most. 
that'll be lucky to bury you or to uh, basically put you in an urn. So now that we said life insurance is for loss of income, we know how much you would need, five to 10 times annual income. Next, what type of insurance do you need? In almost 99.9% of the cases, you need policy with a type of coverage called term insurance, term insurance. And all that is is basic protection. Just like you buy what you're buying on your home or your motorcycle or your car, you're buying term insurance. For life insurance, you need term insurance. Pay a premium, and if something happens to you, your your beneficiaries receive a lump sum of money. If it's five to ten times over income, that's how large the check will be from the insurance company. Most people should be buying the amount of life insurance that they need based on their annual income, not based on how much they can afford. With the cash value life insurance and whole life and flexible life, and they got all these crazy universal life, all the different names for it, you're probably only going to be able to buy as much as you can afford, which means you're not going to be properly protected because of this scam insurance that they're uh, selling you. Buying the cash value life insurance, anything with insurance and a combined savings, you will never be properly insured. You will not be able to afford the premiums. So you're going to be underinsured. That's a huge problem because now you're defeating the purpose of what life insurance is about anyway to protect your loss of income. So let's just take this scenario out a little bit. So for every, and I'm using $100 a month for your cash value policy just to keep the numbers simple. So you can imagine over time that $100 is going to pay for your insurance. X amount out of that 100 is going into your savings account at your insurance company. Let's just say, for example, you passed away 10 years after you had the policy. You would say to yourself, how much money is my beneficiary going to receive? And the insurance company will send out your beneficiary a check for $100,000. And you'll say, wait a minute. I What happened to the cash savings account that I had? You're only paying my my spouse $100,000. What about the savings? And they say, well, didn't you read in the back of the of the policy, in the terms in the back of it, really only a lawyer can understand, is that upon death, all your beneficiary receives is the face amount of the policy. And the face amount is the, the, the amount of coverage that you purchased, the hundred grand. And you say, well, what the hell? What happens to the savings part of my policy? It becomes part of the hundred grand. So if you're in it for 10 years... And let's just say you had $10,000 built up into your savings portion of these of this life insurance policy. When they gave your spouse the check for 100, 90,000 came from the insurance company, meaning from coverage, and 10,000 they gave you 10,000 of your own money back without interest. So, if you want to look at it a different way, is that they'll give you a check for 100 grand, but 10,000 of it was your own money. You got your own money back instead of getting 100,000 plus the savings. All your beneficiary is getting is just the protection. The insurance company keeps the savings. It becomes part of the death benefit. You talk about a scam. That's why the insurance companies have all the large stadiums and all the big buildings are named after them too. They are collecting millions every month from policyholders who do not understand how these policies work. Another benefit that they tell you is that if you have this plan, if you ever wanted to borrow money, you don't even need to go through any kind of application process. If you need to borrow money, well, it can send you out money. And it's a very low interest rate, maybe 8% or 10%. If you go to the bank, they're going to charge you 12 blah, blah, blah. But did they ever tell you that it's your money that you're borrowing? So you're borrowing your own money to get access to it. It's almost like a home equity loan. 
Here's the good news. All insurance policies endow at age 100, meaning when you're 100 years old, your $100,000 policy will have $100,000 of cash values inside. So at that time, if you live to be 100 and your spouse lives to be 100 alongside of you and you pass away, the insurance company will give your wife or spouse a check for $100,000, which 100% of it is all your own money back to you with no interest. So again, after a mortgage and somewhere in between a mortgage and a car payment, life insurance premiums make up a substantial amount of somebody's disposable income. And yet most people are buying this type of policy, which is a scam. I don't care what they say. They tell you terms only short term. It's only temporary. Insurance alone is only temporary. Think about this. As you start accumulating more money and your investment account gets larger, you can reduce the amount of life insurance that you, that you need. So let's say your spouse is dependent on, let's go back to the 60000 a year and a six hundred grand policy. Let's just say you have $200,000 in an investment account. Hypothetically now, you only need 400000 of life insurance because you have 200000 in an investment account. There's your 600000 That replaces your loss of income. So as your nest egg starts building up and your investment account starts building up, the need for life insurance decreases eventually where you can get rid of it altogether. And that should be your number one job is to get rid of your life insurance policy as fast as you can. But until you have your assets large enough and uh, an investment account large enough to offset your income, you will need life insurance. My suggestion, you buy term insurance five to ten times over income. It's very competitive now. Uh, You can shop the market. They have select quotes. They have a lot of different companies available. You can Google it or, or whatever. Uh, depending on your age, you're you're probably looking at a 5, 10, 20-year level term policy, and they automatically renew. So if you got one for 10 years, at the end of 10 years, it will renew. The premiums might go up a little bit because you are 10 years older. But the amount of money that you will save compared to a cash value life insurance policy, that is money to find you to legitimately invest in a legitimate investment. Cash value life insurance policies are not investments. I'm not, I don't want to harp on this and beat a dead horse, but could you imagine if you had, I'm going to use State Farm in this example, just imagine if you had your auto insurance through State Farm and they told you, well, to insure your car, it only costs 1000 a year, but what we're going to do is we're going to charge you 1500 a year, and out of that $1,500, we are going to put it on the side for a savings account, and 1000 we're going to insure your car with. And you say, wow, why, would it, why the heck would I want to do that? Why don't I just want to insure my car? Why do I need a savings account attached to my auto policy? Bingo. Why do you need a savings account attached to your life insurance policy? You don't. You separate them, and you're better off for that. Term insurance will allow you to get the proper amount that you need. Number two, it will greatly reduce the premiums that you have to pay. And number three, that much faster you have money put away where you can start accumulating money to offset the need for life insurance. So quick review. Looking for money to invest? Quit over withholding. Increase your exemptions to increase your take-home pay and reduce the tax refund that you get every year. Increase your deductibles. By increasing your deductibles with your auto or homeowner's insurance policy, you will reduce your premiums, take the reduction in premium, put it in your investment account. If you have life insurance, get the proper amount first. Then, after you get the proper coverage that you need, 
the savings and premium dollars compared to what you might currently have, put that away. Now you have money that um, didn't ask for one more dollar out of your out of your pocket than what you're currently spending. That's just moving a few things around that can free up money for you to invest. All right, hopefully I didn't wear your patience thin on that or uh, over-explain it. But if you have any questions, please email me. It is really, it's that important to me that you understand this concept because I thought that the cash value life insurance policy was, you know, the death of them was near 30 or 40 years ago, but these guys are still out there peddling these policies and they don't even know what they're selling. I just hate to see it because too many people suffer premature death. They leave their beneficiaries in a, in a very bad financial bind just because, based on ignorance of them not knowing what to do or what they could have done uh, previous to any tragedies happening in the family. So just want to stress that. If you got any questions, please uh, feel free to email me. A couple other things uh, we'll talk about here. You'll always run into somebody that says, man, I, you know, I can't wait to pay my house off and uh, not have to deal with a mortgage. Think about that in a different way. If you pay your house off early, the only reason that's going to happen is because you're sending them, your mortgage company, more money than what you need to send them. Reducing your mortgage to where you don't have one in 15 years, that sounds great. Here's one thing that I want you to think about. 15 years from now, you'll have a fully paid up home, but you'll have no cash. Because all the extra money that you've been sending to get rid of your mortgage, you could have been taking that money and putting it into an investment and get the money to grow. With money, you have one thing called opportunity cost. And for every dollar you send one way, you could send somewhere else. And you have to weigh out what are the what are the, the, the costs, what are the benefits. One of the benefits of not paying your house off early is that you have control of that money that you would have sent for double payments or you would have had money to invest to start getting a nest egg to grow for you. I mean, the worst thing that can happen is 15, 20 years from now, you're sitting in a fully paid up home, but guess what? You're broke. You can't go nowhere. You can't do anything until you do what? Until you borrow the money in the form of a home equity loan. So then you end up borrowing your own money anyway and paying interest on it. I'd say why you have the money, get the money to work for you instead of going and paying your, your mortgage off early, unless you're just totally against mortgage companies. You don't want to pay the extra interest. That's entirely up to you. I'm just trying to open your eyes to look at other avenues and other opportunities to see things in a different way. A few things we talked about today is ways for you to increase your principal. That's the main thing is to get as much money into your hands to get it to grow. Thanks for listening and looking forward to getting into investments on our next podcast. To find out more about how you can improve your financial life, visit the website at reap.com. That's R-E-E-P-P.com. You can check out all the social sites from links located on the website. Email your thoughts, questions, or ideas for future podcasts to dan at reap.com. That's dan at R-E-E-P-P.com. Thank you for listening.